the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over 40 years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for 25 years, Rhody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies from their walk with Christ. You'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Rhody Fisher. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Hi, my name is Rhody Fisher. Um, Let's pray. So, Father in heaven, we just thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for all the blessings that you've heaped upon us over the years. Pressed down, shaken together, and runneth over kind of blessings. And we're so grateful. Thank you, Lord, for um, giving us this word this morning. And and we ask that you would lead and guide us as we are doing the show for you. Um, Be with Sean and, and Guy in the booth, as well as... My special guest, Dr. Jeff Cran and his wife here, and also me, Lord. We give ourselves to you afresh and anew, Lord, asking you to hold the reins and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, we pray that you'd give us understanding of your word, too. We are in Psalm 38, and again, I'm going to be reading out of um, the King James Version. And, you know, here's David um, again. And, you know, this time he's, you know, full of grief. He's hurting. He's sick. Everything aches. I think of um, some sports person, maybe some football player, or some, you know, buddy that's ran a marathon and how beat up they feel. And 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 this is kind of how he is right now. He's re- really hurting and, and not feeling well at all. And, and he's listing all the things that's gone on wrong with him. And and it's, you know, I like to say, but for God, God, you know, here I am. I love to remind God about stuff when I'm not feeling well. You know, Lord, you remember I've got this wrong and this wrong and I'm this old and I'm, you know, whatever. Like we have to, I always like to say, like we have to give him an infomercial of stuff about us. He already knows that. However, he is listing all these things. And but for God, God was with him the whole time. So here we go. David, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thy anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head. As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stick, stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all day long. My loins are filled with a loathsome disease. There is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore, broken. I have roared by reason of my disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of my eyes, it is also gone from me. My lovers and my friends stand aloof uh, from my sore, and 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 my kinsmen stand afar off. Yeah, they're all way over there, and he's laying there, just not feeling good at all. <clears throat> they also that they also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they seek my hurt, speak mischief things of me. <clears throat> And, and imagine deceits all day long. But I, as a deaf man, heard not. I was as a dumb man that opened not his mouth. Thus I was a man that heareth not. And in those mouth, and, and in whose mouth are they no reports? For in thee, O Lord, do I hope, for thou wilt hear, O my, O my God. I hate to do this, guys, but I did this again. I really felt like I needed a cough drop. I've got to take it out of my mouth because it's slathering. All I'm, I got it out. Sorry about that. 
Let me just swallow. Okay, better. I'm sorry about that. Okay, where was I? I'm going to start um, on 15. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou will hear, O my, o my God. For I said, hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me. When my foot slippeth, they, ima- they magnify themselves against me. For I am ready to halt, and my sorrow is continually be- before me. For I will declare mine iniquity and be sorry for my sin. But my enemies are are lively and and are strong, and they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. They also that render evil for good are my adversaries, because I follow the thing that is good. Forsake me not, O Lord, my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, Lord, my salvation. Wow, I feel so weighted down, but God gets him through this so greatly. Father, I thank you for your word and how we can come to you with our sin and whether we're sick or not or people are chasing us or not you are always there our enemies seem to kind of surround us sometimes and i'm sure that's what he felt like but lord you are there and we're so grateful in jesus name amen okay we have another subject um <clears throat> and again i say welcome to dr <clears throat> dr jeff cran we are our subject today is going to be is atonement necessary and we're talking about the blood atonement that um, is talked about in the Old Testament. They sacrificed animals. As a matter of fact, um, God wanted wanted um, them. Uh, I'm sorry, Cain and Abel to bring their their um, first fruits to Him, and one included, you know, a sacrifice, didn't it? So we're talking about early on that there was um, a sacrifice being asked. Um, of Cain and Abel. So we're going to go take it from the Old Testament all the way through to Jesus. Is that right? I think we'll have time for that. Anyway, thank you for coming back. I'm excited to hear about the blood atonement. So go ahead. Where are we starting? Okay. Uh, with a little information that you might not know. Okay. Uh, your Jewish friend does not understand that Judaism changed. Okay. They They honestly, generally... And I, I can't vouch. You know, the old joke is three Jews, four opinions. Right. Okay? But uh, most Jewish people are very unaware of uh, the switch that happened in Judaism in 70 AD. Okay. Uh, prior to 70 AD, uh, blood atonement was still a part of the picture. There was a temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 70 AD, the Romans come in and they destroy the temple. Uh, that's really the birth of rabbinical Judaism in a sense. And what I mean by in a sense is this is when you get a, a real acceleration in the formation of what becomes modern Judaism. Mm-hmm. So what your Jewish friend doesn't know is that he's not practicing the Judaism of the five books of Moses. Mm-hmm. He's not practicing the Judaism of the prophets because that included a sacrificial system. Okay, let me stop you there for a minute. Are you telling me even, I'm going to say ultra-Orthodox, for lack of a better term, and you can interpret that any way you want to, but are you saying that even the ultra-Orthodox Jewish people do not do, you know, two doves and a, you know... Yeah, nobody nobody does that anymore. Okay. Um, yeah, the closest you come are a few Orthodox Jews swinging a dead chicken once a year on the Day of Atonement. Uh, but no, there is no sacrificial system. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand that that was replaced, but God never replaced it. Yeah. This is where uh, rabbinical Judaism is a religion quite different than Torah Judaism in the fact that Torah Judaism had a huge component that centered around the tabernacle and the temple. Okay. Uh, and that is unavailable. So your your Orthodox Jew might say to you if you're sharing about Jesus, well, I practice Torah Judaism. And my answer to him is, no, you don't. Mm. Let's get honest about this for a few minutes. Uh, Get rid of the smoke and mirrors here. Uh, You practice at best Talmud Torah Judaism. We'll explain that later. But, uh, you know, the old commercial, where's the beef? Mm -hmm. Well, this is where's the blood? Yeah, because without the without the. Um, I'm going to say spilling of blood, but that's a misquote. There, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Blood atonement is so important because we have a God who's totally righteous. He's just, okay? He upholds all that justice is, hmm. uh, but he is also love. Mm-hmm. 
uh, if you have when you remove blood atonement, and this could be said to the the Muslim as well as the Jew, what you've created is not a biddable deity, but a bribable deity. The scales, you know, um, the the good deeds and the bad deeds, and and that's a bribable deity. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a bribable yeah. deity. What I'm doing is I'm bribing God uh, with my uh, attempts at obedience. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and I'm I'm saying that essentially he needs to either lessen his justice or lessen his mercy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and both of those are unacceptable alternatives to God. Right. So what purpose does blood atonement serve? It is the way that God balances his love for his own goodness, which we call justice mm-hmm. or wrath, with his love for his creation. And see, I look at his wrath as the flip side of his love. Oh, okay. Because if someone's attacking my wife, my love for her will turn into wrath towards the person attacking her. Uh-huh. Um, God loves his own goodness. God loves his creation, and he refuses to choose between the two. Uh-huh. Blood atonement is a mechanism by which he can go ahead and maintain his own integrity in all ways. And he has designed that. So is this important? Uh, I don't know. Uh, how Judaism can rightly uphold its view of God and say that he's going to wink. Mm-hmm. Uh, and pretend that they're doing whatever they're doing is acceptable. And, and and just let me ask you this. What are they doing? Because I've heard several things. Um, you know, there is a Day of Atonement that they um, celebrate. And what do they do to atone for their sins? Is it, I, I, I heard that it's in influence with water. There's some kind of a water thing that they do. Um, there's a ceremony called Tashlik, but it only recalls the verse in Micah where God says that he will cast our sins into the depths of the ocean. Mm-hmm. So it's a visual. Okay. Uh, it, it has no efficacious, no atonement ability. So what they're, what they're saying is that they could just toss their sins into that They've got a beautiful of picture of God's forgiveness, but they have no way of getting it. Okay. So it's like holding up a giant candy bar and saying, doesn't this candy bar look good? How does it taste? It doesn't taste like anything. You can't eat it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a wonderful picture. It's a great picture of what God's done in Messiah, but it has no no forgiveness value. So on that day where they, once a year, it, it's, it is once a year that they go to um, ask for forgiveness for whatever the sins are for the year. Um, is there a service? Do they... Do they do something? Do, do the rabbis get involved? I mean, what do they do? Okay, good. Um, in 70 AD, there had to be substitutes for the temple. Uh-huh. So what you're left with are the substitutes that were allowed. Uh, charity, good works, the death of the righteous, uh, the reading of the sacrificial system. So they read about the offerings. Okay. And the rabbis say that reading about it is like doing it, uh, to which I say, well, that's great. The next time you want to take a drive in your car, just read the manual <laughs> and you'll get to the grocery store, right? Uh, that's ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Um, But remember that in 70 AD, Judaism was faced with two choices. Either the followers of Jesus were correct, and Jesus should be regarded as the Messiah, and he then would become the authority. We'll get into that in a future episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or you have to have something to replace the temple. Mm -hmm. Uh, So blood atonement has been not a part of things so long that most Jewish people have only the vague echo of something. Mm -hmm. They know little or nothing about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm just pointing that out because as we're discussing this, we're discussing a topic that your Jewish friend probably has never thought about. Mm -hmm. He may never have even heard much about. Uh, If you say to your average Jew, uh, what do you need to do? He would say, well, um, I need to keep the mitzvot, the commandments, Uh, I need to be a good Jew, and I need to hope in the end uh, that somehow uh, God's mercy and, you know, he'll put his finger on the scales, which is the same with your Muslim. This is another place where Islam and Judaism are somewhat similar in that neither of them has a way of gaining forgiveness. Uh, Your Muslim just says that, you know, Allah tosses a coin or puts his finger on the scales if he's so inclined, and, and if he doesn't, you're out of luck. Uh Uh, So Judaism doesn't have a real personal hope to it. Uh, Jews have just grown up learning to subjugate uh, any personal hope under a a more corporate sort of way of dealing with things. Uh Um, So they don't ask the question. I didn't ask the question. When I was growing up, I I didn't ask. Uh, I was just told, you know, 
uh, do the mitzvot, hope it all works out. Maybe if you're lucky, you'll be around when Messiah comes and uh, lots of luck to you. Um, And so that's kind of where it was. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I started looking into the issue of atonement that I realized everything I hadn't been told. Mm-hmm. As far as what used to be, I mean, I, I read the Sedur, so I read about the sacrifices, but but I didn't connect them to the fact that there was a continuing need. Mm-hmm. So you understand that your your Jewish person is operating out of the Judaism of the rabbis, not the Judaism of the Bible. Okay, uh, and that's that's a good thing to get your Jewish friend to think about. Which Judaism are you following? Yeah. Um, so what should I tell him about what his Bible tells us to do, them to do okay. regarding blood atonement and forgiveness of sins? Um, Where do we start? Let's start at Leviticus 17.11. Okay. And let's talk about that. That's a key verse. <clears throat> okay. Um, now, honest individuals who look at this verse... And I'm going to say that because there are Jewish polemicists that are so dishonest with this verse uh, that I'm not mad at them for not believing in Jesus. I'm mad at them for not being honest with the text. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Disagree with me if you want to, but let's be honest about the evidence. Uh-huh. Let's enter the court with the same rules. Okay. Um, the issue around here is that God's talking about blood. Now, what will be pointed out is that the children of Israel are told they can't eat blood. Okay, verses 1 through 3, uh, you're to speak to Aaron, the sons of Aaron and the children of Israel, and say, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded me. Whatever man of a house of Israel who kills an ox or a lamb or goat outside the camp or kills it, uh, sorry, kills it in the camp or outside the camp, shall bring it to the door of the tent of meeting and offering as an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle. And the guilt of his bloodshed shall be imputed to that, shall not, sorry, um, does not bring, sorry, the... Uh-huh. Uh, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it as an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle. The guilt of the bloodshed shall be imputed to him, for he has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from his people. And so what some rabbis will say is that this is about the kosher laws. Okay. Not eating blood. Okay. In fact, it goes on to say that, you know, uh, whoever eats blood, verse 10. So they'll say this is about the kosher laws, verse 10. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is not about blood atonement. This is about dietary laws. Um one famous polemicist is big on this. This is not what this is about. The verse 10 about eating blood comes after the issue of blood sacrifice. So you have to get your order of the text correct. Uh-huh. The text doesn't start with the dietary law. The text starts with the issue of the sacredness of blood and what it's supposed to be used for. And then says, in view of the sacredness, don't eat it. Okay. Okay. Now, some people want to inverse the order of these verses to make it all about dietary laws, because uh-huh. then you don't have to have blood atonement. Um, but it starts with the tabernacle and an offering you see in verse four. Then it moves on to the issue of eating blood. Then it moves on to the purpose of blood. For um, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Right. And I've and given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is blood that makes atonement for the soul. So, again, the dietary laws are in there after the discussion about the tabernacle Uh begins, and then you move on. And what 11 is doing is telling you why you shouldn't eat blood. Okay. Okay? Because the question comes up, well, what's wrong with eating the meat with the blood in it? What's wrong with a, a, a super rare roast beef sandwich here? Yeah. And so 11 tells us why it's wrong. Just had that for Thanksgiving, but go ahead. <laughs> That's okay. Your atonement's taken care of. That's true. Um, and so they're playing a game with the text. They're not paying attention to the <laughs> fact that 11 is giving the reason for the dietary laws. The dietary laws is not what 11's about. Mm. Um yeah, it's clear. It's and, clear. Mm-hmm. If you're reading honestly and you're not playing a game, mm-hmm. uh, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Now, the idea there is that you, uh, blood symbolizes life. Mm-hmm. I'm a blood donor. And so they say, give the gift of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not talking about slaughtering me. Right. They're talking about me giving blood because we understand that uh, our body is set up so that blood uh, is this incredible organ that travels throughout the body and sustains life. Uh, Uh And so that's one of the reasons I'm a donor. And I've given it to you. Now, the I there is the Lord. I have Uh given it to you. So it's the provision of God. Right. 
And what you have to make atonement for your souls, that to make there, okay, uh, is a purpose statement in the Hebrew. Okay, there's a type of grammar there that indicates this is for the purpose of making atonement. Uh So what is blood for the purpose of making atonement for your souls? Uh Now, to make it even plainer, in case someone missed it, God had Moses say it is blood that makes atonement for your life. Uh So the game playing that this is for the dietary laws doesn't fit the verse. No, it doesn't. And it doesn't fit the context. Exactly. Um, You're not to, this is why Jews are supposed to not eat blood, because blood was set aside for atonement purposes. Uh So you were robbing God, you were misusing something. That's rightfully his. That's rightfully his, uh, and so that's why that's there. Uh Uh, That's the strongest verse you're going to find. But what you need to understand for the Jewish person is this is Torah. Uh Uh-huh. The Jews still have the division of the law, the prophets, and the writings. Uh-huh. And so Torah is considered the constitution. It's considered the central. Uh, the prophets are telling Israel how they're failing. The writings are exemplifying the principles of Torah. Torah is central. So the fact that it's here in Leviticus, in the first three books, in the manual for the priesthood, uh-huh. uh, is very, very important. Uh, and so that's what we're kind of, of dealing with there. Um, now, did this exist before? I mean, is Moses the first one that ever sacrificed, uh, where you ever had substitutionary atonement? Well, that's not true. Uh, I think you mentioned the binding of Isaac. Right, I did. I think we were off camera when I said that. But, you know, every every Jewish person knows that story. I know that the Muslims say that it wasn't Isaac, it was Ishmael, but that's neither here nor there. I'm talking about the Bible that we know, the Bible that the Jewish people are used to hearing. It's Abraham such being obedient to the Lord and saying, yes, I will sacrifice my, my son. Right. And then uh. God pro- provides a lamb. And so that's where you see that there was the lamb introduced um, as a as a substitute. And so that tells us several things. Uh, not only is atonement required and it has to be blood, but that gives us the idea of substitutionary atonement, mm-hmm. that something can substitute for something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, the passage you're talking about is known as the Akidah oh, okay. or the Akidah. Akidah. It, it comes from the word to bind because Abraham bound Isaac to the altar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually part of the Jewish prayer book. Uh-huh. It's read as part of the morning prayer. Um, now, again, the Jewish prayer book is not inspired, uh-huh. but it, it tries to grab biblical pictures where it can. Uh, let me read this. Uh, I would love for you to. Do you have the translation? As I well have as it. The I have it. Hebrew? Okay, great. I'll read the English. Uh, We are your people, the children of the covenant, the children of Abraham, thy friend, whom you did swear on Mount Moriah, the seed of Isaac, his only son, who was bound on the altar, Uh the congregation of Jacob, whose name thou did call Israel and Jethrun by reason of the love wherein thou hast loved us. Uh, Therefore, it is our joy. uh, uh, Therefore, it's our duty to thank and praise and glorify you. Now, what this is going to is the fact that Jewish people are basically told to remember this. Uh Uh, And so you have this picture of uh, the binding of Isaac. Now, once God had required or actually asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, Uh uh, Isaac's life really is God's, uh, in a sense. Uh Um, and, And, you know, that's really what it's all about, is Abraham releasing Isaac so that Isaac doesn't become an idol. I I see that. I can see that because he wanted this child so very bad. And, you know, today people do that. They have this child that they've been waiting for for so long, and that can turn into an idol, I'm sorry to say. Yeah, and so when people say, well, why did God have to test Abraham? Didn't he know what was in Abraham's heart? I say, no, you, you missed the point. God was testing Abraham so that Abraham would know what was in his heart. Yes, that's really good, too. Um The rabbis connected the Passover lamb to the binding of Isaac. Right. Uh, This is a commentary on Exodus 12, 13. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. When I see the blood of the binding of Isaac. Wow. So here's a ancient commentary on Exodus from the Talmud making the connection. 
So, so why, if God doesn't want substitutionary atonement, does God provide substitutionary atonement for Isaac? See, that's a question for your Jewish friend. Why is the central story in Judaism revolves around substitutionary atonement, but you're telling me blood atonement is not necessary? Uh-huh. That's inconsistent. <clears throat> uh-huh. Um, so that's one place that you find it. You you mentioned Cain and Abel. Yes. I think that's a good text. Uh, some people will say that, that Cain's attitude was not right within him. Well, I think that's true, too, but it doesn't rule out the fact that his attitude resulted in action. Mm-hmm. So was his attitude wrong? Yeah, of course his attitude was wrong. But maybe that wrong attitude was resulting in a wrong action. Mm-hmm. So let's not... Let's not split hairs where hairs do not need to be split. Okay. Uh, so I would see that as legitimate. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that a Jewish polemicist doesn't like is the skins provided for Adam and Eve. I'm going to stop you for a m- moment because <clears throat> you've used the word polemicist, and I've always thought that when when you when you're an apologetist or apologetics. Is that the word, or is mm-hmm. it apologetist? You are um, you are ch- you are standing firm on what you believe in, is and and what your the truths are, and you 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 know what it is, and you're able to tell us what this says. Mm-hmm. But a polemist is I might be wrong, but this is what my idea is. It's a person that goes out there to challenge them. Is that what it is? Right. I don't use the term Jewish apologist. Okay. Uh, because I want to avoid that term. Okay. Uh, because I deal in apologetics as it relates to Jewish objections. Okay. Uh, the anti-missionary, uh-huh. which is the paid individual in the Jewish community to attack the gospel. Okay. Uh, is what I would refer to as a Jewish polemicist. Okay. So I was kind of right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and those are the guys like Tovia Singer that yeah. that uh, are around. And, and they don't like Genesis 3. Oh. They don't like Genesis 3. I'll, I'll be doing a broadcast where I look at the claim that Rabbi Singer makes that uh, really Genesis 3 is all about Adam and Eve not liking their bodies. Uh-huh. So it's a fashion problem. Uh-huh. And God has to prevent uh, present them the nicest furs uh-huh. around. Um, I don't see the narrative supporting that. Okay. God looked at everything he made and it was good. And then right after the what's called the fall, uh-huh. uh, we have Cain and Abel. Uh-huh. Uh, why do we have murder immediately after the fall? Because everything wasn't good after the fall. Right. Something had changed. Right. Sin uh, had entered the sin picture. Sin had entered into the picture. And so, uh, you know, when you try to, 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 again, pull something out of the narrative uh-huh. and make it say something it doesn't say, uh-huh. uh, you're ignoring the narrative. Um, I, I want to ask, I'm going to throw you for a loop here. I just want to ask you one question and, and then I'll let you stick to your, that's okay. your story. Okay, so when Cain and Abel did have the skins on, there was actually... Uh, would would you consider that was another blood sacrifice? Yeah, if you take the skin off an animal and you don't kill it, it's going to object. <laughs> so, I mean, was that an atonement for their sin? Because, you know, they obviously listened to the serpent. And, yeah, and, I would. And Eve was able to talk uh, Adam into it. And and so there was a sense. So would you consider that, the for, uh, you know, another blood atonement? Yeah, I, w- I would consider that the beginning of the system. Okay. I, um, I was thinking that myself. Uh, now, again, there are those that would say that, that the issue is only Cain's attitude. Um, you know, I respect that, but I'd say I think that's overly simplistic. Uh-huh. I think it misses something. When I'm looking at the flow of the text, there's something else going on here. Uh-huh. Um, the Bible story builds on itself. Uh-huh. And so uh, I am informed by the flow of the text. Yeah. Um, with, uh, yeah, I, I would think that, too. You know, um, and to help us out, we need to understand what the tabernacle was. And we need to understand what the temple was. W- the Garden of Eden? That's, yeah. Wouldn't yeah. that be? You it? have the place where God meets man, which is the Garden of Eden. Yeah. That's lost when man sins. Mm-hmm. 
Where are God and man going to meet together again? Well, now God sets up a tabernacle so he can dwell in the midst of his people. Yeah. So that becomes the new beachhead in a mm-hmm. fallen world. Israel yes. does and the tabernacle does. Mm-hmm. That eventuates in the temple. Yeah. So what you have, and I love this. This is where I get into the big story. What mm-hmm. you have is, is God taking back what's his and yeah. dealing with sin. Yeah. Uh, and so your your tabernacle is your 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 Eden spot again, yeah. and then the temple becomes the Eden spot again, and then Jesus becomes the final mm-hmm. meeting of God and man. Wow! Yeah. Uh, but that takes us a little bit away from blood atonement. But yeah, it's we're still part we're of the big little story. rabbit trail here, but that's, that's okay. okay. It, um, it serves its purpose. Um. Okay. So where are you taking us now? Uh. Well. Um. I'm going to take you to Exodus. Okay. Uh, Exodus 12 is the Passover. Uh-huh. And so you say, well, wait a minute. How does that demonstrate blood atonement? Well, there is a shedding of blood again. What's, and, yeah. And, and, the, and, and when I think of the shedding of blood there, um, here was a lot of firstborn that was going, ready to die. Mm-hmm. And because of the shedding of blood, they did not have to die. That's, Is that it? That's it. Okay. There's substitution again. Now, uh, understand what's going on in Exodus. I love this. Okay. Uh, Exodus what? Exodus 12, 12 okay. and 13. Okay. There's something people often miss here. Okay. Here You're going to see a phrase. Okay. I will pass through the land of Egypt in night and strike all the firstborn of mm-hmm. the land of Egypt, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Mm-hmm. So now the children of Israel are trapped. Egypt has all these false deities. Mm-hmm. Who's behind the false deity system? Well, we know the enemy, the adversary. By the way, Satan isn't a name. It's not like Joseph. It's a title. Mm-hmm. Satan's name is Lucifer. His mm-hmm. title is the adversary. Mm-hmm. He's chosen to take that upon himself. Mm-hmm. God didn't change his name to something nasty. Mm-hmm. He chose that, and now God calls him by what he is. He's now the adversary. That's the role that he has chosen for himself, uh, and so be it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what God says is, these plagues are judgments on the gods of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And how are you going to not be identified with the gods of Egypt, O firstborn mm-hmm. of Israel? You're going to place blood, and I will see the blood, which symbolizes life, which atones. And in that way, I will not regard you as part of the system of these false gods. You've shown faith and blood. Mm-hmm. And so now I will respond, and when I destroy the the, the firstborn, to demonstrate that the gods of Egypt aren't gods, uh-huh. uh, I will pass over you. Uh-huh. So you have substitutionary atonement again, so that the, the firstborn of Israel will not be uh, included in the judgment of Egypt's gods. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's, that's Sinai. Yes. Uh, and this is for uh, Israel, in a sense, the firstborn of Israel. Uh, which is a, a picture because uh, you have that that whole thing there. So you have Abraham, you have you have Adam and Eve. That's a little less clear. Okay, we'll say the the Polaroid is getting clearer as it sits. Yes. And then you go to Abraham, and it gets a little clearer. And then you go to the Exodus, where you have clear substitutionary atonement. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you go from there to Leviticus. Where now it's stated, before it was demonstrated. Yes. Now it's stated, and then you have the tabernacle and temple, Mm -hmm. which now repeat the lesson over and over again in a stated form every time. Um, And then you end up with the, the period of time when Jesus is walking the earth. And what's interesting is the rabbinical writings admit Leviticus 17.11, even though the rabbis deny it. Uh, this is Yoma 5a. You need to know what the Talmud is, because I just used a term. Mm-hmm. Um, the Talmud are a series of Jewish writings that have material that exist before Jesus, uh, some of the earliest sages of Israel, uh, and then goes on, and it's finally written down, hard-pressed, copied, uploaded to the university library. I'm using some terminology from my doctorate. Mm-hmm. Uh, between 600 and 800 A.D. But the material goes back further. So the trick is to know which material is from when. 
And that's why we had to have a rabbinical literature class when I got my master's okay. and my degree uh, was to get a better understanding of that. This is an early tractate, which means that it's material that's older that got written down later. How much later? What are we talking about? <sighs> Yoma. And this is hard to date. Okay. Because what you do is you date it by the rabbi that's speaking. So if it says Hillel said, uh-huh. we know when Hillel lived. Okay. Uh, so uh, it's a little harder. This tractate, uh, Yoma, uh, is instructions for how to do the Day of Atonement. Mm-hmm. So we know it goes back pretty far. Yeah. Because we have the Day of Atonement going on during the Temple period. Uh, there's other markers that indicate it's older. Okay. Um, but in Leviticus, it's talk. It's it's clearly stating. Um, doesn't it give you know two turtle doves and you know what, oh. what you can do if you did this sin and you did that sin? You've got to give the whole cow or whatever it is. Doesn't it just spell it out completely? Well, it, it spells it out completely. The issue is that when this new Judaism develops, and it's really not the only thing that's around. Jesus lived in a time period when there were a lot of expressions of of faith hanging around. Uh-huh. Uh, let me give you a comparison. Uh, well, we have Calvary Chapel, we have Southern Baptists, we have Presbyterians. They're all expressions of what we would call the Christian faith or New Testament faith. Uh-huh. Well, Judaism went through the same thing at about this time period. Okay. That's why you have Sadducees and Pharisees uh-huh. and, uh, you know, uh, Essenes, because you have these different expressions of faith. Uh, as people are trying to get a handle on what this should look like in their day. Mm-hmm. Remember, Rome's there. Uh, life's difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's significant about this is that even the Judaism after Jesus uh, still had material in it that, that said blood atonement was necessary while blood blood atonement was being replaced. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's like having a situation where... The driver's guide says you have to stop for a red light while there's another driver's guide printed at the same time that claims to be equally true that says you don't have to stop at a red light. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so this says that blood makes atonement, and it quotes Leviticus 7.11. Okay. So, you know, when a rabbi says, you know, well, we don't need that anymore. um, Well, wait a minute. Uh, How do you square your own writings? Mm -hmm. Uh, This is like what George does, where he looks at the Quran and says, well, the Quran says this here, and the Quran says this here. Make up your mind already. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, people are horrified when the temple gets destroyed. They're so horrified that their horrification is written down. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, they regarded the temple as being destroyed. So the pr- gates of prayer were quo- closed and an iron wall was put between God and his people. And that's actually in the rabbinical writings. Mm-hmm. They look at this, they go, what has just happened here? Uh, you know, and, and so all of modern Judaism really starts to, all of the later Judaism becomes an attempt to deal with the fact that they're missing something they should have. Mm-hmm. There's this big gaping hole. How do we fill it? And your Jewish friend is really following the Judaism that attempts by human means to fulfill a gaping hole that they can't fulfill. I find it interesting <clears throat> that um, the Jewish people today don't allow that to click, that Jesus died for our sins because of the years, thousands of years of blood atonement that was made for their sins over the years, if you read the the Old Testament, and they don't put together that Jesus died for their sins and connect the two. Well, again, we'll we'll get into Isaiah fifty three because you have to have you have to have a God that is more than one person. Uh-huh. You have to have Messiah being God. Then you have to have the necessity of blood atonement. But then you have to say to your Jewish friend, "Well, Messiah is that blood atonement." Yes. Uh, and we haven't we haven't gotten there yet. We've got twelve minutes. You know, that's a cumulative case. Yeah, and that's why I say it's very hard. You know, I wouldn't be the only one. Chosen people would say this: reaching Jewish people is difficult. It's not a slam dunk. One, they've been told not to believe this. Uh-huh. Two, you have to present a cumulative case, and three, you have to be patient. Uh-huh. And, and most people don't do real good with those three things. I know. I know. Um, okay. So we're in Leviticus. Where do we go now? Well, we have to deal with a few objections. There are places where the prophets are mad because Israel's misusing blood atonement. They're they're going through the motions. 
Okay, it's like the guy who steals from somebody and then offers a sacrifice half-heartedly because he wants God's favor, but he still wants to be able to steal. Okay, okay, uh, kind of a salvation without repentance thing here. Okay, mm-hmm. I want the goodies, but I don't want to change the way I live. And so God says to Israel, you know what? If you're going to continue to sin willy-nilly and have no regret at all and handle blood atonement and think that you can like mix your sin with the blood atonement so your sin becomes acceptable, I'm not going to let you do that. Uh You're misusing it. And so what a lot of rabbis will do is point to these verses that talk about misuse, and they'll say, well, now I've proven blood atonement isn't liked by the prophets. Not necessary. Not necessary. Uh, One of them is Isaiah 1, 11 through 13, where the prophet Isaiah is very mad because uh, this period of time, Israel has been doing a pretty bad job of it. Uh, Isaiah 1? Isaiah 1, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, and so <laughs> there's this this fakey religion going on, okay? Uh-huh. Uh, and so God says, bring me no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and Sabbaths and the calling of assemblies I cannot endure in sacred meetings. And so what Isaiah is saying is, look, uh, I don't like your fakey, put on, insincere attempt at placating me by throwing animals at my face. Okay, I don't need that. Uh Uh, But he's not against blood atonement. No. What God's against is false religion. Mm-hmm. Or false piety. Right. Uh, and so that's what's going on here. But but the rabbis would use some of these verses uh, to say that, you know, really Moses liked blood atonement, but the prophets hated it. Mm. Uh, Moses and the prophets are divided. Uh, you know, I've even heard things like when Israel was really primitive God had blood atonement, but then under the prophets, you know, they were getting so much more sophisticated and better that God could go ahead and and kind of dismiss that sort of primitiveness. That's not what Isaiah is saying. Uh, so they're pulling this out of context. Uh, and they're ignoring what's going on here. Uh, and by the way, I'd say that that's true of any false piety. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if, if I go... If I if I was not Jewish and I'm going to church just to play a game because I want to look religious, how does God feel about that? It's false piety. Uh, he hates it. Yeah, God's a God of truth. And so that's what he's responding to. Um, now, what's interesting about Jewish people is, uh, again, the Orthodox Jew prays for the reconstruction of the temple and the reinitiation of sacrifice for atonement's sake. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you say to your Jewish friend, now, wait a minute, you're Orthodox. You told me you don't need blood atonement because blood atonement isn't necessary. But you're praying the, the Shimona Esrei, which says, uh, rebuild the holy temple speedily in our days so we may offer to you continual offerings that it may atone for us. Uh-huh. As you prescribed for us in your Torah. Uh-huh. You say, well, now wait a minute now. Your Judaism says you don't need blood atonement. Your prayer book says you do need blood atonement. Your prayer book is the prayer book of Judaism. Can you explain this apparent contradiction to me uh-huh. so that I can understand it? Because uh-huh. it looks like your prayer book's acknowledging what the Torah acknowledges, and you saying that blood atonement isn't necessary right now seems to be in contrast to both of them. Right. And so you've got a bit of a problem here. Uh, what some people will do is, if you do read your Bible, there were other types of offerings. There was something called a grain, grain offering. offering. Right. Uh, and so they'll say, well, now wait a minute now. A wheat doesn't bleed. But there was a grain offering. Uh, One of the things that Dr. Michael Brown points out is where was the grain offering placed? On the altar. Well, what had been sacrificed on the altar prior to the grain offering? Was it bread? Didn't they have bread on the altar too? Well, they had show bread. Show bread. And there was a place for that. Oh, okay. And the show bread represented the manna. Right. But when they made a grain offering, it was made on the same altar where the blood offering was. 
Oh, okay. I see where you're going. So, so what's going on here is the blood is already on the altar. The altar already has had the atoning blood on it. Now the next offering is a grain offering, but the blood has been pre-provided. Nowhere does the Torah ever say grain makes atonement for your souls. You can't get away with that. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that there are these other offerings, well, there were other offerings. But that wasn't uh, a comment on blood atonement that was allowing for different situations. Okay, we may go a little bit long, Sean, uh, maybe two minutes. I'm going to have to have him wrap this up. Um, I'll give you the five minutes and then I'll go for two. So um, we are we are going to need to get Jesus involved here. Okay, well, now you start dealing with Jesus. And the reason I didn't, I didn't do this before is that, that what is allowed to atone for sin, well, the blood of the righteous can atone for sin. Uh, and there's even a place in Talmud where that's allowed, and Miriam's death is explained in terms of the red heifer. And so what I'm getting at with this is the idea that you could go from blood atonement to a person that makes blood atonement is perfectly acceptable. And that's the linkage to Jesus. And that's really our doorway into Isaiah 53, because if you can have substitutionary atonement and a righteous one can substitute, now we can begin to talk about Isaiah 53. Uh Because now we can ask, who is the righteous one that provides the blood atonement? Perfect. The Lamb of God, that's Jesus. Um, there was something else that I was going to ask you, and that was, and maybe I'm going backwards, but when when Jesus was at the temple and he was throwing things around, because and those birds were flying everywhere and what whatever sacrificial lambs they had there, and and I've always heard that it was because you you mentioned. Um, where the, the the Jews were were sacrificing a certain way and half-heartedly doing things. Well, these people were supposedly stealing from the other people because they were charging overcharging for these things. Tell me, tell tell us a little bit about that, and kind of get that all squared away. Okay. For us. Um, yeah, you did have an issue. First of all, the buying and selling was being done in the court of the Gentiles, which was set aside for the nations to come and pray. Uh-huh. This was a, a missionary heart of David and Solomon. They saw the whole world eventually entering into the, the worship of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, they rightly did so because of the Old Testament. And they said, let's put a court aside so that those who are interested from the Gentiles can begin to come and honestly worship the one true God. And so these guys had pretty much taken over the court of the Gentiles. Two, you couldn't offer a coin with Caesar's face on it to buy an offering. Because that was like idolatry, Uh because Caesar claimed to be God. Right. And so you had to exchange that coin for what was called a temple, was a temple shekel. Uh Well, now I get to decide how many Caesar coins equal one shekel. Uh Well, let me just jack the rate of exchange up a little bit. So this is what they were doing there. Yeah. There was there was some there was some money mishandling here, mm-hmm. a little bit of overcharging, yeah, making the exchange rate a little higher on the temple shekel, mm-hmm. and pocketing sort of the difference here. Yeah, so I guess I guess the story there would be um, the Lord was okay with charging f- a fair price for the turtle doves or whatever they were, and it was just the overpricing. Yeah, extortion is not acceptable to God. Yeah. Money exchange is acceptable to God. Yeah. That's kind of the lesson there. Okay. Don't mix your sacrifices with your extortion and expect to get away with it. Okay, we have a minute and a half for you to wrap it all up into this blood atonement. So we've already talked about what they did in the Old Testament and when they started practicing. And the Jews stopped doing that, even though... um, and, and I can see why, you know, when you look at the correlation of all of it, Jesus already died for our sins. They didn't have to have a blood atonement, but they didn't accept him. And God didn't leave them with a temple. So mm-hmm. the upside of this is, is real simple. Um, blood atonement, uh, the, the true lamb uh, has come. Yeah. 
And blood atonement allows us to understand why his work is needed in terms of God's character and why modern Judaism fails to provide any salvation. Okay. So, <clears throat> gosh, I want to thank you for all this. I've, I've got so much kind of in my brain right now. There's a lot to process. But I do want to talk to our, the people that may be watching. Um, Jesus paid the price. The Old Testament shows that God wanted a sacrifice. And they religiously or whatever brought, they, they even brought sacrifice in the desert, didn't they? I don't know where they got their animals from. I, I guess from Egypt. Um <clears throat> Because they had the tent temple, right? So, but the point is, Jesus paid it all. He paid the price with his own blood that was shed for you. I would like to say a small prayer that you mean in your heart. Um, <clears throat> repeat after me. Today will be the day of salvation for you. If you would follow me in this very simple prayer, but mean it in your heart. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for shedding your blood for my sins. Forgive me of everything that I've said, done, or thought that was against your word. And, and I know what that is, and I'm sorry. I want to repent of that, all of that. And I ask you to take me by the hand and lead me on this new journey with you. Come into my life and my heart and let me follow you today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> if you have said that little prayer and would like to call us and let us know, call Hope Radio here in Corona, California, or on my website, On the Road with Jesus. We are going to be here every Tuesday and Wednesday from 11 to 12 noon. And thank you for joining us. And again, thank you, Dr. Jeff <clears throat> Cran, for being here and clearing all of that up. There was so much information there. We will see you next time on The Road with Jesus. And God bless you all. Thank you for being here today for On the Road with Jesus with your host, Rody Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus. You'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rody Fisher at rawfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com. Spelled R-A-H-F-I-S-H-E-R at ontheroadwithjesus.com. Or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094. That's 951-817-0094. On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project. Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rody Fisher. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.